Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Who had fun at the Fall Festival yesterday? Come on. It was a great, great time. I want to give a really specific shout out to Bethany Collins, who was our event coordinator for that Fall Festival. And she did a fantastic job. She was here uh, from about 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. And of course, her husband and a bunch of people from our team that came around her and made it happen. Let's give a hand for all our volunteers that did a great job. Thank you, guys. A few highlights through, through the hospitality and the kindness and the excellence of that event, uh, we were able to share the gospel with and connect with almost 400 new people and then our own five and 600 people all around the property. And I mean, the hayride, for instance, there's so many things I could mention. People were taking, you know, they were risking their lives going out on that hayride with John and Kelly Ferreira, going over giant bumps, and I was filming them. We're going to post a bunch of videos and footage. We served a bunch of hot dogs. Thank you to the Collins family for serving. I can't even, I can't, I'm not even going to try to mention a bunch of names, but big thanks to everyone who was there serving. Um, there was an ambulance, uh, not for the hayride, but there was an ambulance for people to just tour, and there were police cars, the the Williamson County Police Department was there just letting people tour their vehicles. The Williamson County helicopter did a flyover and a circle around and now is really excited about this annual event and said next year they'll be able to figure out a landing in the middle of the event. So they're just doing that with us for free, all kinds of fun. The feedback I got from people across the board was they just had a great time. They loved it. They felt very well loved, taken care of, seen and heard. And by doing that, you guys, our church family, are sharing the gospel. Are you tracking with me? So that is a good thing. We're building bridges in our relationship, in, in our community. And as we do that year after year, uh, in the long-term life of the church, you just, you just build trust with people. And when something happens in their life, you are there to love, serve, and minister to them. Tracking with me, church? So just a great celebration. At the very beginning of the event, my kids and I saw, I think, Jessica, you might have seen it too, I can't remember, like a perfect... V in the sky of geese flying over the property. And we were especially excited about that because we have been watching one of the great movie franchises in all of history called The Mighty Ducks. Any love? Remember The Mighty Ducks back in the 90s? Not a lot of love. The V formation in The Mighty Ducks is like their secret weapon. And if you don't remember the plot, Gordon Bombay was an attorney and he gets pulled over for drunk driving. It's probably why it's PG. And he's sentenced to 500 hours of community service coaching the worst peewee hockey team in all of Minnesota. And he begrudgingly goes into it. He wishes he didn't have to do it. He meets the kids. They don't want him to be their new coach. But then, like almost all movie plots, it turns into this beautiful story, wonderful relationship where they win the greatest prize, but more importantly, the coach and the kids and the parents have this life transformation together. It's the most common plot in all movies or stories in some various form. Christopher Brooker, an author, he calls it the meta plot. He said it always starts with the dream stage. There's an ensuing adventure that excites us. Then it turns into the frustration stage. That's when the adventure hits a challenge or an enemy, and the hero realizes they are actually invincible. 
And then it kind of culminates with the nightmare stage, the climax of the plot, where hope is apparently lost and it's tense and your heart is beating, but then finally there's a resolution. The hero overcomes the bur- the hero overcomes the burden against all odds. More importantly, they become a better person and they learn surprising lessons through unexpected circumstances. And the reason that plot resonates with all of us is because it speaks to this universal truth about humanity and how God teaches us, how God teaches us, we often find what we really need in the most surprising ways. Have you noticed that in life? Through a path that you did not want to go down, you find what you ultimately need and become most thankful for. This is a simple message out of John chapter three that can be very life-changing and it's called the surprising path to joy. And I would be so bold as to say for most of us, the path to joy is different than what we intuitively think. And that's what we're gonna dive into this morning for a few minutes. We're going through the whole gospel of John. The series is called Believe and we are finishing chapter three today, verses 22 to 36. We're starting with the reading of the whole text because we just wanna make much of God's word and allow his spirit to speak to us through his word. So read with me starting in verse 22. And shout out to Bill Hardwick for getting our new projectors and screens going. Come on. That was a very bad applause. We, we appreciate you, Bill, a little bit. Just a little. My wife is very thankful. Let's read in verse 22. <laughs> After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Aenon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. So Lord, we bow our hearts humbly before you this morning and we ask for you to illuminate your word to us and things that we have not seen or understood. May you bring sight and understanding in the depths of our soul that it will change our lives, God. And Lord, you know, you know I feel weak. And so we ask that in our weakness, you show yourself strong. And we welcome your presence here 
in your fullness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it starts, if you can just imagine with me, with Jesus and his disciples just hanging out on the countryside. What an incredible scene. And look at what the, verse, the first verse, 22, says, where he spent some time with them and baptized. So we see here early on in Jesus' ministry on earth that what he is doing is just spending time with his disciples. One of my primary mentors who's really changed my life by the name of Rod Loy, who's a pastor in Arkansas, one of our overseers here at Graceland Church. When I first met him, I was in a season struggling deeply. Uh, We were young church planners in Los Angeles, and we were trying to hold it together, but it was just very, very challenging. Um, I think for both of us, but more so myself internally, was in some ways unraveling, and I needed to find help. And God allowed my paths to cross, our paths to cross with this pastor and his team. And one of the very first things he did was he invited me to come spend an entire week with him in North Little Rock, Arkansas, where his church is. And church of many, many thousands of people, and he oversees all kinds of things all over the world. He's very busy. Um, His capacity is this high already. But he spent four straight days with me, a lowly, I'm trying to think of the adjectives to use. (laughs) I'll just use lowly, weak church planter, right? And on Sunday, he had all their morning services, I think three or four in a row, and then they had evening services. And the whole afternoon and the whole day, I was with him. And all afternoon, he talked with me about processing our lives and what was happening and what we were struggling with. And in doing that, he was giving to us the most valuable commodity that we have, which is that quality time. And it changed my life through the Lord, and we desperately needed that, and we still walk very closely with that family and their church. And that's what Jesus is modeling here. Think about it. We have the Son of God, God in the flesh, broken into human history, now doing what? Hanging out with a bunch of young people and just spending time with them. And what we see here is this foundational practice, number one in your notes, of being a disciple of Jesus is just spending time with him. And I just wanted to start with that simple encouragement. This is what we see Jesus doing, and this is what Jesus has invited us into. So I just wanna encourage you, Jesus is life. He is the essence of life. He is the good news, and we're surrounded by bad news. Let me just gently nudge you, spend time with the essence of life. Get a little bit more of that into your thoughts. Get a little bit more of that deep into your spirit. And the way we do that is we get into his word and we recognize that the Holy Spirit who is sent to teach us everything that Jesus has said to us awakens the word of God to us and we fellowship with the living God. So just remember those two words, spirit and word. And when you go to scripture, don't worry about reading 18 chapters. I mean, approach it however you want. Just don't do it with this sense of guilt and condemnation, read and say, Spirit of God, make your word come alive to me. And in doing this, understand you are spending time with Jesus. What an invitation. We can spend time with him. That's also why the church and the fact that we are called to be committed to a church is a beautiful thing because we're with Jesus together and then in our togetherness with him even more, right? I'll just use myself for an example. 
I am a, a full-time, bivocation minister. And even with that, I need the body of Christ around me on a regular basis, spurring me on towards the Lord. When I'm hanging out with the Hulays, I, I am hanging out with Christ in them and them stirring me on to be with Christ more, all allowing us to even more be together with Jesus. You tracking with me? That's why you'll hear me say, is anyone tracking with me? No one really responded to that. You'll hear me say on a regular basis, commit to a church family, put some roots down, and then take up some responsibility in the family. Yes, because the church needs you, but even more so because you need to be committed to the church. And there's nothing like responsibility that keeps you connected. So I'm always gonna encourage you towards that. Reading on in verse 23. Now John was baptizing. This is talking about John the Baptist now, not the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. So John the Baptist also was baptizing because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before he was put into prison. So what we see here is this interesting moment in time when John the Baptist was there before Jesus, baptizing people, saying the Messiah is gonna come and be the true baptizer. Now Jesus is there baptizing, but John is still there. And according to the text, because there's lots of water and some people are still coming to him, he's still baptizing them. Now he doesn't know it at this point, but he's ultimately gonna be imprisoned and beheaded, but that has not happened yet. So this is the, the stage and an argument developed between some of John the Baptist's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man, Jesus, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing. Everyone's going to him. So think about being in their shoes for a moment. Before Jesus was there, John the Baptist, essentially, though he was like a crazy man in the wilderness, was the man. And there was this powerful revival and move of God where miraculously all these people are going out to the wilderness to be baptized by John. And his disciples got to be right in the middle of this thing, living this glorious story. And now Jesus is on the scene and some of their disciples are leaving to follow Jesus. And so the disciples of John feel threatened by that. And they, I mean, think of it, they, they, they're losing market share in today's vernacular. They're losing significance. They're losing the sense of being center stage. They're actually shrinking in influence. It's as if this move of God is now dwindling and moving over there. So they are frustrated. They're bewildered and they're probably scared because they're insecure and they're not understanding what's happening and they're feeling this sense of loss. And the second principle in your notes is a foreshadow of what's to come into this text. Pay close attention to this. Sometimes situations that feel like a loss to you personally are actually setups for true joy. This is what we see in this text. Let's continue to see how it unfolds. To this, John the Baptist replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. This response alone shows the greatness of John the Baptist. He's essentially saying the, the success or effectiveness or fruitfulness of my life is not my own. My ministry and my life and my breath itself is not my own. I've only received what has been given to me from heaven. It is a humbling and truthful statement for all of us. We are actually not called to force a sense of success in our lives. 
Have you guys ever ca caught yourself doing that a little bit? Forcing or trying to present this sense of effectiveness. Henry Nouwen articulates it well. We are called to be fruitful, not successful, not productive, not accomplished. Success comes from strength, stress, and human effort. Fruitfulness comes from vulnerability and the admission of our own weakness. John the Baptist goes on to demonstrate his heart. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. And then to help them understand, he uses this beautiful metaphor we see all throughout scripture. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. So in scripture, Jesus is the bridegroom and the church, all of us together throughout all generations, we are the bride. And this is the beginning of the coming together of the bridegroom, Jesus, and his bride, the church. So John the Baptist is basically saying, this church, this bride does not belong to me. It belongs to the groom. And then he articulates in verse 29, the friend who attends the bridegroom, so that'd be kind of like a best man or, or someone that's helping with the ceremony. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. I've gotten to officiate a lot of weddings. I've been doing it for 20 years of my life now. I have no idea how many I've done. We'd have to add them up. It feels like I've done too many already, but I know I have decades ahead of doing more. And they are so fun. Uh, there are two moments in particular uh, that are really crazy with doing weddings. One is when I'm with the groom backstage somewhere or back room and usually the best man and usually the groomsman. And we're kind of waiting for the queue to walk out, but we can hear the room filling up. And so watching the groom's face and body language in this moment is very amusing for me. It's not as amusing for the groom. They are feeling the nerves. They are feeling the tenses. They're hearing all, you know, when a room starts, you hear the, the sound level rise because all the voices, you're like, oh my goodness, how many people are out there? And they know the queue is about to come. I have seen grooms get the queue. It's time to walk out and just go like completely pale white in the face. Like, like you know, the, like their heart fell into their stomach. I've seen grooms almost fall over and I'm like their coach in that moment. So it's highly amusing for me. Um, and it's, it's tough for them, and they remember it. And, and then another one that I love is the moment at the end when I get to say, I now declare you husband and wife. There's something so profound about that because it's real. And I always just can't believe that I get to be a part of that. Like, like who am I to get to declare that about this couple? And it's this real thing before the Lord and legally. It's such an honor. And I always get a little bit emotional every time I say those words, to the point that I have to really discipline my emotions not to like uh, my voice to break up a little bit because no one at a wedding ceremony, unless you're like related to the people getting married, wants to see the minister start crying, <laughs> right? They're like, this guy is missing the point. <laughs> he needs some help like this is, get your stuff together and then come do this. And, and imagine if, if, if I took it even further, and this is a silly illustration, but it helps us understand. Imagine if I started crying in that moment and, and rather than finish the declaration and end the ceremony, I just kind of stepped forward. And I was like, hold on a second, guys. You know what? I've really been going through a lot, you know, and I'm really glad you guys are here. 
this is just really helping me a lot, and I'm really thankful. And it's, it's, man, this is, gosh, I'm so glad you guys are getting married because it's really helping how I think of my own marriage and whatever. Yeah, it would be like totally stealing the show that does not belong to you, right? That's essentially what John the Baptist is saying. He's saying, wait a second, the, the, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The bridegroom belongs to the bride. This is about their coming together, and my joy is celebrating them, not trying to insert myself into it. And he says in verse 29, that joy is mine, and look at this, it is now complete. So think about the full story in context. John the Baptist is saying to his disciples who are concerned, not only am I not concerned about my own personal loss, but this is actually completing my joy. Think about the surprising path to joy. And then it gets articulated right here. Here is the path. He must become greater. I must become less. That's number three in your notes. The surprising path to joy is twofold. Jesus must become greater. You must become less. It's easy to say it. It's shocking to your system to actually realize it and begin to live it in deeper ways because it is so counterintuitive. No one ever said, the way for me to reach joy is to become less. Everyone thinks more is going to lead to joy. Greater is going to lead to joy. Once I have this, then I will have consistent joy. This is presenting an entirely counterintuitive and countercultural approach. Think about it. It's totally opposed to our sinful nature, and that is all about self-preservation, self-promotion, and fear-based living because of our ego. It's pushing against all of that. And if we're really honest about it, the first part of that prayer is easier. Jesus must become greater. That'll get a shout in the church. Yes, but you don't get quite the shout when you say, I must become less. Yet that is part of the equation. I was listening to a teacher a couple months ago who almost lost his whole marriage. He was a pastor, um, went through some very difficult times. He was there with his wife. They made, they made it through the whole thing, uh, but they ultimately were saying, he was saying, in order for his marriage and his ministry and life to work, he had to ask himself, am I willing to let my dream of my marriage and my life die so that God's dream for my marriage and my life can live? And this doesn't just apply to marriage. Am I willing to die to my plan for my life so that his plan for my life can live? That's what it is to mean to say less of you and to then trust the process of God and actually believe this message and submit our life over into his hands. Our culture, as you guys well know, says that bigger, faster, and famouser is always better. That's the gospel of our culture in the West. But what if God says the best for you is smaller, slower, and more hidden? Will we trust that process? A great case study out of scripture is Saul and David. Saul was king. David was the up and comer. People are now starting to sing things like, Saul has killed some, but David has killed more. They're actually singing about this. So Saul 
rather than following in the footsteps of John, well, this was pre-John the Baptist, rather than having a similar heart to John the Baptist, Saul develops a jealous eye for David, and he makes it his life mission to destroy David. And that does not end well for Saul. It does not lead him to true joy. It leads him to his demise. But it didn't have to be that way for Saul. If Saul wasn't riddled with that insecurity and was willing to have that same heart of John the Baptist, he could have been okay with becoming less. And he could have said, wow, seems like God is really raising up this, this young shepherd boy, David. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but God's hand is upon him. Let me pour my life into him as well. Let me help him. Let me care for him. They could have had a tight relationship, and, they, and Saul probably could have ended his life beautifully, beautifully filled with true joy. One of my friends, Trinity Jordan, has a book, and the subtitle is Insecurity Ruins Everything. Have you noticed that? And insecurity will be one of the primary things that fights against the idea of you becoming less. But if you don't get comfortable with the idea of you becoming less, you cannot remain a disciple of Jesus. You will start making up your own system. All of scripture is this U shape for our our path in life. Sometimes we think, and all we're doing is taking the kind of American values of the West and putting them on top of Jesus. We think, okay, Jesus is gonna help me make my life ultra successful. And I'm gonna go up and to the right, and that's just what it's gonna look like. And then, when you really start dabbling with being a true disciple of Jesus, he starts taking you low. He starts taking you down. And it is this U-shape of scripture, down, 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 down. You're down here, and then in God's time and his way, he lifts you up. Jesus modeled this for us too. Look at Philippians 2, five through 11. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider God He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Just that alone is an example of Jesus that is is deeply convicting for us because we're saying, whatever I do have should not be used for me to use on just my own advantage. That's what Jesus is modeling. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, our U-shape doesn't follow Jesus all the way to like us being glorified, but look at what James 4.10, I mean, we're glorified in the sense of our bodies, but not receiving worship. We're not following Jesus there, but look at James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So my question to you is, are you trying to lift you up or are you humbling yourself before the Lord and allowing him to create your life whatever he wants it to be? In other words, do you believe him and trust him or do you believe your own vision for your life and trust yourself? And it's a tough question. It's about trusting his process. John Piper said it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him especially when we're most satisfied down at the bottom of that you. John the Baptist, that's where he was. He was shrinking in influence. He was shrinking in market share. Everything was getting smaller. He's losing his disciples. He's losing this sense of significance. Yet, because his heart is after God and he is most satisfied in God, right there, God is glorified through him and he is filled with true joy. He's no longer living in fear. He's free. This is the invitation we all have. And then the rest of the text is just explaining why John the Baptist made the right decision. It says, the one who comes from above is above all. That's Jesus. 
The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. He's talking about himself. And we are like him, sons and daughters of the earth. Though, of course, we're sons and daughters of God. We're not where Jesus is from. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. And here's where it hits the theme of the whole gospel of John again. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. And again, we've been talking about how the word believe has been very cheapened in our culture. This sense of believing is the casting upon with all of your life, all of your weight, orienting everything you have around this Jesus. That's what it is to believe. In this context, think of it this way. Part of believing is trusting his process in your life, especially when you're feeling personal loss. And it's not to minimize the pain of loss. It's not to minimize the pain of the loss of a dream or the loss of things that can hit much deeper than that. It's not to make light of it, but it is to say that believing is to trust his process when you are there. So like John the Baptist, you can say, wait a second. It's not about me fighting for my own. It's about me saying he must become greater. I must become less. And the joy that awaits you there is closer than you think. You don't have to attain some position in life to get that joy. You don't have to get that joy and then try to sustain that joy. It is the gift of joy from letting go. All pressure off. And this, I remember my father once said to me, and this kind of discouraged me when he said it. He was like, Nathan, don't forget, all of life is letting go. I said, what? What do you mean? I'm trying to get as much as I can right now, dad. Trying to have some kids, trying to like, you know, plant some churches. No, 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 Nathan, all of life is letting go. And you, you start to learn there's no joy unless you let go because you're just trying to control. When you're riddled with anxiety, you're not letting go, you're trying to control. So the joy is in becoming less and trusting him to do whatever he wants with your life. Closing story, a friend of mine who's a missionary, he has four sons. I shared this a couple years back. It's worth repeating. Missionaries in the jungle, I think it's of Ecuador, and him and his four sons came up to this river, and there was a cliff. And so they're being rugged men, and they're like, let's jump in the river. And the three older boys went right in. But then the younger son, I think, was about four years old at the time. And I, I can really relate to this now because my little son is three. And they think they want to be able to do anything. Anything they see their big siblings do or any other older kid do, they're like, I am doing that. So the little four-year-old put on his life jacket and went right up to the edge of the cliff and was basically like, I'm gonna follow my brothers right into this river in the middle of the jungle. And he got up there and he just stood there <laughs> and he just stared at the river because he was terrified. And this is a lot like us sometimes when we're saying, God, we want to believe we want to be like those that we admire and believe and really dive in head first and trust you with everything and let go and trust, but, but help, help my unbelief. I'm just standing here on the cliff. I'm not actually jumping. Can anybody relate to that? I can. I'm just standing here. And then what his four-year-old four son looked back and said to him, and it's a true story, 
is a beautiful articulation of this grace that we walk in. His four-year-old son looked back to him and said, push me, Papa. And so he said, all right, and pushed him right in. And that's the prayer, I believe, please help my unbelief, which is an okay prayer. And so if you're wrestling with this and wrestling, man, I feel like I want to jump off this cliff. I want to dive into the river of God. I want to say, God, whatever you wanna do with my life, I'm in. I want that. I wanna follow. But you're just standing there. I've been there. And you can just, like that little kid, just say, please push me. And he'll help your unbelief. And there is a joy waiting for you in the river. Let me have the team come up as we pray. Lord, we thank you that you're with us, that you're here now. I thank you that you're working in the hearts of your people. And there may be some here that that don't even know you yet. And I pray they would respond right now in their heart and say, I wanna follow you, Jesus. I say yes to you. Forgive me for running my own way. Forgive me for just 100% chasing only my vision, only caring about me and what I want. Forgive me for sin. Forgive me for hurting others. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your, your life, your death, and your resurrection that makes a way for me to know this great salvation. I commit my life to you. There might be others of you here, and I, I sense that at some, at some point or another, this is all of us, where we just realize, goodness, we have been chasing joy in all the wrong ways. No wonder we've been getting the opposite of joy. No wonder we've been getting bogged down rather than more free. And you might be like me and say, God, I wanna keep getting more free. I want to keep knowing living hope. I want to keep sensing the joy of the river. And you just need to be like me and say, God, I want to continue to walk the surprising path to joy. And you might want to make the declaration with me right now in your heart. Jesus, may you become greater and may I become less. And we do exactly what you command us in scripture, Lord. We we humble ourselves before you. Even when it's tough and we're like sliding down that U-shape and we don't understand it, and it's not what we had in mind, but we just tell you right now, God, and you can pray this for yourself. I get emotional every time I pray this before the Lord, but pray with me. Lord, I am willing to let my dream for my life die so that your dream for my life can live. So we just say yes to you, Lord. And may we know even just a taste of that joy. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this song as we respond together, church. Can we just close our eyes together and uh, lift up our hearts? If you're comfortable with it and you're wanting to say, I want to follow you or... I want to again embrace this surprising path that leads to joy. Just raise your hands with me. Um, The thing I want to remind you as we just respond is this is actually incredibly hope-filled because it means wherever your life is right now, whatever painful things have happened, 
And whatever way life has turned out that maybe isn't what you anticipated, you can still be right in the middle of the path that leads to joy because he is the redeemer of our situation. Even when things are our own fault, he is the merciful one who uses even what the enemy intends for evil for our good and even will turn mistakes that we have made and use them for our good and his glory. He will transform your life. It is any moment that we choose to say, God, we are all in with you, that he just transforms our world once again. That's his grace. That's his mercy. And I love the line on this song. Uh, as I bow before you, Lord, we, we, when we sing that, we're, we're responding. We're saying, I humble myself. As we do that, we rise in confidence because then the declaration, we will see your goodness in the land we're living in. Even if that goodness is a different picture of life than what we expected, he is still with you, my friend. He has not left you. He is near you. He sees you, cares for every detail in your life, knows your heartbreak, knows your insecurity, knows your shame. And he just wants to speak to you about this and remind you, you're, you, you can still be on the path to the true and deepest joy. All is not lost. He turns around every situation. So let's just lift our voices and sing that chorus as I bow. Let's thank him for his mercy. Lord, we worship you in this house. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for drawing us near and showing up in power, God. We thank you. I want to remind you, after we dismiss, um, if you haven't yet, take the step to connect, whether it's a community group, or a team, Heather and Stephen can help you with any of that. I'll be walking around too. Um, we love you guys. We're grateful to do life with you. If you'd like to process what God is doing in your heart and mind, talk to me, we'll pray with you. We wanna equip you and we wanna walk with you. I'm gonna pray this benediction, then we'll be dismissed. May you know the joy of our God this week, receiving his words with a glad heart and allowing him to produce fruit in your life. May your time with Christ not be an important thing among many, but may it be the most important thing to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Love you guys.